0: Well, one of the nice things about not having kids in the children's ministry anymore is I don't have to wonder whose medical bill I'm going to have to pay because my child pokes somebody's eye out on (laughs) Palm Sunday. It it is one of those kind of nice things. You know, God has all kinds of ways of humbling me, and uh, one of them in the past has been my kids when they do public things. And it is nice to be beyond that season of life of being humiliated and humbled, and he has other ways, he hasn't given up on me, but uh, it's just moved on from there. Um, I want to just uh, real quickly kind of run through the events of this week, uh, just uh, so you feel comfortable about them and you know how to jump in wherever you can. Oh, is this not working? Yeah, it is? Okay. Okay. Um, so we're going to jump in with the Arminian Christian Fellowship on Thursday night, anybody who wants to. Monday Thursday is a very uh, historical church celebration, a reflection probably more than celebration of uh, the Last Supper. And uh, they do this every year, and they've invited us to participate. Pastor Shant has told me that we'll be around tables in the fellowship hall. They will be serving a meal and uh, then they have a booklet that contains much of the Gospel of John uh, that took place on that night that we'll be reading through. We'll be washing feet, and we will be partaking of the Lord's Supper, and the cup will be real wine. And uh, so just uh, if that fits with what would be helpful to you in your worship of the Lord this week, uh, just would love to have you jump in. Uh, you do need to RSVP today. And uh, so, you know, the thing is there on the back of your bulletin, just let them know how many of you are coming, and uh, I'm really looking forward to this. I love doing things cross-culturally, and uh, I'm not going to sit with any of you if I have my choice. (laughs) I'm going to sit with some of my Arminian brothers and sisters and uh, just enjoy the work of Christ that crosses all ethnic boundaries. And uh, so, just need to make sure. If you want to do it right now and send an email this moment and let them know you're coming, feel free to do that. Uh, Friday night, we'll do our Good Friday service in here. It'll be what we uh, traditionally do. uh, Quite a bit of scripture reading, some singing, and then we'll have the Lord's Supper table set up around. Uh, They will be joining with us on that, and some of them will be uh, serving at the different tables, the Lord's Supper. And then on Resurrection Sunday morning... 6.15, uh, uh, the service starts down at the pier. That is always a special time. And, uh, and uh, of churches, probably about 10 churches coming together and doing that service together. Uh, we've been running 10 or 1,000, 1,200 people. Uh, just hard to know what will happen, but uh, I would love to have you jump in there. I do need 12 people who will help hand out bulletins. And so you'll need to be there about 10 minutes before 6 or so to do that. And uh, so if you can do that, why, please let me know. You can text me, you can email me uh, for that. And then we're going to have our regular classes from 9 to 10. And so you've got the thing in your bulletin there. In fact, somebody have that little brochure about the classes? Who's got one here? Okay, so let me walk through this quickly. But this is where we do most of our equipping for different areas of life. And so if you're wondering about how to disciple people, the building into others would be for you. This is actually part B of what went on this particular cycle. Uh, The shape class has to do with understanding how God has uniquely shaped us, given us a spiritual gift as has given us a particular heart for something in ministry, has given us certain abilities that we've cultivated and worked at, has given us a personality, a uh, unique personality, and has given us life experiences. And all those come together so we can fulfill the unique role that we have in God's church. And so Paul Walker will be walking you through that. Bob Green is going to do one on missions. If you just... Uh, want your heart stoked more for the nations of the world uh, because you're a little myopic about just what's going on around you or you already have a heart there and you want that to be stirred up a little bit more, that would be a great place for you to jump in. Uh, this cycle, it's the only cycle this year that we're doing men's, men with men and women with women. And so uh, if you'd like something particularly emphasizing uh, the uniquenesses of what does it mean a man and to walk with God as a man and what does it mean to be uniquely a lady and walk with the Lord as a lady, then jump into the appropriate one of those, okay? Worship-based prayer, uh, this is where we will just uh, give a little bit of instruction, probably about 10 minutes of instruction every week and then we're going to spend the rest of the time just just uh, praying, in worship-based prayer. If you're one of those that hasn't, I mean, just praying for 40 minutes is absolutely freaks you out. This would be a very important place for you to plug in. Um, and so I just want to encourage you, don't be terrified by that. Just recognize it's something God wants to cultivate in your heart and jump in here. I think you'll find that it goes way quicker than you could possibly imagine. And, um, and especially if you're wrestling in your own personal prayer life, you've got a family, you don't exactly know how to lead them in that. Maybe you're a husband and wife, you don't pray together and read the word together and stuff. This would be a great place to jump in and be a part of that. And then First uh, John downstairs, boy, what a powerful book. What a succinct book. Uh, it used to be the book that we always recommended the brand new believers read. Uh, now often we're taking them to the Gospel of John. Um, But it is just an amazing summary of of, uh, God's work on our behalf. So 9 to 10, uh, jump in. They start next Sunday, uh, Resurrection Sunday, and then 10.30 in here, and uh, we'll really enjoy a special time in here. Uh, What I'm going to do next week is I'm just going to walk people through the gospel, going to walk us all through the gospel, and for about the next eight weeks, we're going to look at who we are as a church, what has God called us to do how do we be faithful to what God has called us to do as a local body of believers? And uh, and so next Sunday morning, we'll be taking a break from the Psalms, and uh, I'll just literally walk them through why is this world so confused? Why is uh, making sense out of this world such a conundrum? And what has God told us about that? So just a great opportunity to bring uh, people that are wrestling with that. Where is God? If God's all-powerful and he's loving, why doesn't he do something about my situation? All these questions, uh, we'll give a quick answer, but it will be the right answer uh, next Sunday morning. So just would encourage you to jump in there, and then we're going to have one of our young men who's recently come to Christ follow the Lord in baptism. Doug? Right? <laughs> No pressure. <laughs> and uh, he's already put it out on Facebook, as I understand, right? Yeah. And uh, so uh, if you need to follow the Lord in baptism, or you know somebody that does, talk to me at the end of the service. And uh, we would love to have you be faithful to the Lord in following him in obedience and baptism. This morning we're in Psalm 118. And uh, so if you've got something with the scriptures on it, go ahead and turn over to that, if you would, please. And uh, we're going to be in this psalm because this is the psalm out of which some key statements are declared during the last few days of the Lord's life on earth. Uh, This is one of the places that Hosanna… Uh, comes out of. It's one of the psalms. It's also in one of the other psalms. And even a more important, if I can say that, uh, summary of the purpose of the Lord Jesus Christ coming and who He is comes out of this psalm. So if you turn over to Psalm 118, one of the things you'll notice that unlike the psalms that we've looked at a couple times through this series, there is no historical subscription to this or subtitle to this. Now your your uh, translators may have put some title in there, but it's not the title that has been with it for several centuries. And, uh, and what that means is we don't exactly know what the particular circumstances were that prompted this psalm or to which this psalm was applicable. Now, thankfully, we have a lot of Jewish writings and we have a lot of Jewish practices that tell us something about the use of this psalm. Beginning with Psalm 113 through this psalm, Psalm 118, is often called the Egyptian halal, the Egyptian praises. And we know that the Jews used them during the Feast of the Tabernacles. This was an annual feast where they would build a little tents or some kind of structure to remind them of how they had been released from Egypt to be able to worship the living God and how he took care of them through the wilderness and had brought them into the promised land. These psalms, Psalm 113 to Psalm 118, would have been part of what they sang during the Feast of the Tabernacles. Now, the Feast of the Tabernacles begins with the Passover because that was what God did to get His people out from underneath uh, Pharaoh's rule. And so, these psalms were also sung at every Passover meal And in Jewish traditional homes today, they still are sung. So, a Jewish person would have memorized Psalms 113 through Psalm 118. And in fact, when Jesus, it says they finished the Last Supper, the the Passover meal there, it says that they sang a hymn and went out. It wasn't one of our hymns. Hate to break that to you. It would have been Psalm 113 through Psalm 118 concluding with this very psalm. And so, in many ways, this would have been the last psalm that our Lord would have sung with His own disciples. And so, as that week came around and his people are making their way to Jerusalem, these psalms are very, right on the tip of their hearts. And, and thus, when Jesus begins His triumphal entry, they began singing out of verse 25 and 26. Lord, do save, we beseech you. O Lord, we beseech you, send prosperity. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. And so that just comes out of what they're saying. What I want us to do this morning is I want us to look at Psalm 118 in the way that would have been used and understood by the people of years gone past before Jesus came, and then I want us to show the significance to us today because of who the Lord Jesus is and how he specifically anchored this psalm in himself. So let me pray, and we'll jump in and look first at the context and what the significance would have been to the Jews of this day and God-fearing Gentiles And so, Spirit of the living God, thank you for uh, Psalm 118 this morning. Um, I just pray that you would bring it to life, that you would give clarity, but that, Lord, you would write it upon our hearts and accomplish whatever you would want to accomplish in the very core of our being. Lord, we know that you deserve to be worshiped. We pray that you would use this psalm to, to cause our hearts to worship you with greater commitment, greater uh, confidence, greater fervency, greater everything, because you are worthy. And it is in your name that we pray. Amen. Amen. We see that uh, the psalm begins there in the first four verses with a call to worship. A call to worship. Let me just go ahead and put all this up here, and then we'll walk through it. Okay, so there's this call to worship in the first four verses. It begins saying give thanks to the Lord for he is good for his loving kindness is everlasting and then oh let Israel say his loving kindness is everlasting oh let the house of Aaron or the priests say his loving kindness is everlasting oh let those who fear the Lord so now we're moving beyond Jewish people to non-Jewish people who had adopted the God of Israel as their god Let them say His loving kindness is everlasting. The Feast of the Tabernacles was to include non-Jewish people who had embraced God as their God. And so we see this call to worship. I want you to notice the beginning point. The beginning point is not how you feel about God. The beginning point is not how you understand what God is doing. The beginning point is what? Give thanks to the Lord. And the name for the Lord there is the covenant name of God. In several places, it's actually Yah that is used in this psalm. But the beginning point is give thanks to the Lord. You see, the call to worship just takes us right off the bat to the North Star, to the one upon whom we should orient ourselves and the very response because of who he is. And so the call to worship begins with give thanks to the Lord. I don't know about you, but that's pretty helpful. Whether you feel like it or not. Whether you understand it or not. You know, if you get the compass pointed in the right direction, you'll end up in the right place. And the call to worship begins here. Give thanks to the Lord. Now it goes on and tells us why. Why should we? What's it say? For he is good. And we very importantly often sing about the goodness of the Lord. He is good. It is his very nature and his character, it is who he is, it's not something that he does. He does good because he is good. Sometimes we do good in spite of what we think or feel. He is good. I mean, if you could cut God up at every cell, which he doesn't have, you'd find good. You just would find good, 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 good. Now, he goes on and makes a specific application of the goodness of God to his people, And that is his loving kindness. It's a difficult word to translate. And if you're using a different translation, you probably noticed it has a different word there because it's one of those words that is so big, it's very difficult to know how to translate it. So some of them will say his mercy or his faithful love. Some just have love there. But it is a particular goodness of God whereby He acts in love for those who are His people and it's a sense of He has an obligation to love them. He will always love them. There's a consistency to His love. There will never be anything else but His loving kindness. And that flows out of His goodness uniquely to those who are his people. And so we say for his loving kindness is what? What's the last word there? Everlasting Everlasting, uh, forever. Some translations have. Let me ask you this. Think about this. What do you have today that is everlasting? Think about most of the things you spend your time with. There's hardly anything if... That's everlasting. I mean you you being a son or daughter to your parents, that's not everlasting. You being a parent to your children, that's not everlasting. You being married, that's not everlasting. Guess what is everlasting? God's loving kindness is everlasting. If you know God, if you know him through the Lord Jesus Christ, you will only ever know the loving kindness of God. Everything else, or maybe I should say most everything else, is going to change. Some things we have for a season, as good as they are, they're for a season. But not God's loving kindness. His loving kindness is everlasting. Everlasting. And so there's this call to the people of God, Israel. There's this call that goes out to the house of Aaron, to the priest. There's this call that goes out to those who were ethnically of other than Jewish heritage. And the same refrain, let them say his loving kindness is everlasting. His loving kindness is everlasting. Boy, that's a necessary reminder, isn't it? It's his loving kindness, which is everlasting. Now, the psalmist goes on, and the psalm goes on, and... uh, Oh, oh, let me point this out before we go on. So, unlike uh, Psalm 51 that we looked at last week, and even the psalm before, and several of the other psalms before, Psalm 51, uh, as we said last week, was a very individual psalm of David towards God... In his repentance for his sin. This is not an individualist song. This is a congregational song. This is a people of God psalm. And so it's important to keep that in mind, especially as a group of people and living in a country that emphasizes the individual. This psalm is a psalm for all the people of God. And what all the people of God experience because they are the people of God. And so, for example, we're going to go through and they're going to remind themselves of God's loving kindness in distress in verses 5 through 9. And his loving kindness in the midst of war in 10 down through verse 19. But that's never an individual distress. That's an individual distress maybe because you're a part of the people of God or it could be a distress that you feel because you are a part of the people of God. And so it's important to keep that mindset as we go through here um, so that we can understand the beauty of what it means to be a part of the people of God. And so he's going to go on and say, let me me show you two experiences, two different realms, if you will, in which the people of God experience the loving kindness of God. And one is in distress in verses 5 through 9. The other one is in the midst of war in 10 down through verse 19. And we see the loving kindness because the loving kindness is, is the way the goodness of God works out. In, in different circumstances. Now, there's a lot of other circumstances it works out, but the psalm is going to deal with these two. So let's read about how his loving kindness works in the people of God being under distress. And you'll notice that there are singular pronouns, I called. It could be the king leading his people. It could be the priest leading the people. But this is a congregational psalm. It could be what you as, uh, or one of them as an individual was suffering, but they were suffering it because they were part of the people of God. And so it was a common distress to all the people of God. So, for example, maybe this distress was, uh, you know, the harvest has finally gotten ripe and it is ready for people to eat. And a, another country, another raiding warriors come through and they take all of the crops that have been harvested and carry them off. That's a distress. Now, the reason that that would happen is because they were the people of God, but the individual family now is left without food to eat. So, you get the idea? It's distresses that are due because of your identity as being followers of God. So, beginning of verse 5 there For my distress I called upon the Lord. The Lord answered me and set me in a large place. The Lord is for me, I will not fear. What can man do to me? The Lord is for me among those who help me. Therefore, I will look with satisfaction on those who hate me. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. So what is this particular distress? Well, it's obviously coming from people who hate God and hate the people of God. That's what we get from the context there. And what is the response of the people to God when they end up in distress? Verse 5. They call to the Lord. They call out to the Lord. Why? Because we can give thanks to Him. And He is good. And His loving kindness is everlasting. That means it's always there in every circumstance. And what does the Lord do? Into verse 5. The Lord answered me and set me in a large place. What's the tendency when you're in distress? What's the tendency when people are hateful towards you? Isn't it typically to kind of ball up? Isn't it typically to avoid them? Isn't it typically to circle the wagons and become more protective of yourself? I think that's the fairly typical. I mean, you can lash out as well. But if it's a superior force, you don't typically lash out unless you like to die. <laughs> and so the typical response with fear and people hating you because of who you are as the people of God is to kind of pull in and, uh, and just, uh, you know, take a lot less risk and be a lot less vulnerable. And he says, Though I called upon the Lord in my distress, and the Lord answered me. And what did the Lord do? Set me in a large place. The large place is the very opposite of being in a constricted place. It's a place where you're free to move. You're free to live. I was thinking of Psalm 23, where the Lord Jesus said, I will prepare a table for you in the midst of your enemies. And so in the midst of distress, when the people of God call out to the Lord... He answers them and sets them in a large place, a safe place, a place that is unrestricted. The Lord is for me. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Uh, Interestingly, this is quoted in Hebrews 13 concerning the use of money. Don't be afraid of what people can or can't do to you. The Lord's for you. The Lord is for you. Now, other people will be for you as well, verse 7. The Lord is for me among those who are help. And so other people will come to your aid too, but who should you look to? Do you look to the other people for help? Well, if you want to be disappointed, if you want to get what they can help with. But what does it say? The Lord is for me among those who help. Therefore, I will look with satisfaction on those who hate me. In other words, I don't have to pull back. I can keep facing the people who hate me. It is better to take refuge in the Lord. It's better to trust in the Lord than to trust in man. And it doesn't mean that people are not trustworthy. It just means people can only help with what they can help with. They only have so much brain power. They only have so much wisdom. They only have much strength. They only have so much time, right? The Lord's got infinite on all of those things. And so it's saying, don't. It's not saying don't trust in people. It's just saying, man, make the Lord your ultimate trust. Uh, the Lord. It is better, verse nine, to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. How often we look for somebody in authority to fix the situation, don't we? And again, when are we going to learn? They can only deliver what they can deliver, and often they don't deliver anything. And so it's better to trust in the Lord. And so in distress, we call upon the name of the Lord, the people of God. Call upon the name of the Lord. And then in verses 10 down to verse 19 we're 18 down there, um, it moves it to a unique distress, and this is the sense of war. And you can pick up that sense by verse 10, all nations surround me. It says that three times, right? Verse 11, they surrounded me. Yes, they surrounded me. What do you think the point is that he's trying to make? What, what's the experience that the nation of Israel, the people of God are having? Uh, we're surrounded. Do you get it? I mean, we're really surrounded by the nations of the world. And adds a little bit of a a picture there for us. They surrounded me like bees. Now, any of you ever stepped on a hornet's nest and had bees go after you? Any of you? Yeah, Yeah, I'm sure some of you have. I mean, you run, but what's the point of running? (laughs) It's just, it's kind of a hopeless thing, but you feel stupid standing there and getting stung. There's just no way to get away from them. When I was going through Army Ranger School back in Georgia, it was during the summer, and there's a lot of hornet's nest in the ground. And so we all carried a poncho that we could rip off real quickly because what would happen is if you're in single file, the first few guys stir it up and the rest of the guys catch it. (laughs) And you can literally see them coming out of the ground, just hundreds of them. And so you rip off this poncho, you throw it over them, and you might put some smoke thing or something under there, and then you run like crazy. That was normal procedure because you can't really outrun them. you got to stop them some other way. So one night, we're doing this mission, and we're moving. It's all training, and we're moving. We end up having to go down this really steep hill, so we're all sliding down. It's pitch black. And the brush is so thick, we're kind of laying on our backs, trying to get down this hill. And all of a sudden, we all start getting stung. (laughs) Machoism goes out the window, man. (laughs) Screaming, hollering, and all of that. And finally, you know, our instructors get us assembled someplace and chew us out like crazy, you know. You know, if the enemy was there, they'd shot you. Well, we all... You know, we took the chewing, but we all thought this is training, (laughs) and we were surrounded by bees, and uh, you know, if people were really going to shoot at us, we probably would have kept our mouth shut and not done that, but it's a terrifying thing. That's my point, because you cannot get away from them, and they're saying that's what happened to us because we are the people of God. The nations surround us like bees. And what was the only thing we could do? In the name of the Lord, in the person, in the character of the Lord, in the loving kindness of the Lord, in the wisdom of the Lord, we just look to the Lord. He's our only hope. And again, it says that three times. In the name of the Lord, though, he doesn't say, the, the, the people of God don't say, in the name of the Lord, I will sit there until he delivers me. Is that what it says? It doesn't say that. What's it say? I will cut them off. You see, there's a trust in God, and then there's obedience to move in the way that he calls you to move. And it says that three times as well. They surrounded me. Yes, they surrounded me. In the name of the Lord, I will surely cut them off. They surrounded me like bees. And look what God did. They were extinguished as a fire of thorns. Thorns burn fast. They burn burn hot, but they burn fast, and they're gone. They're very much a flash. In the name of the Lord, I will surely cut them off. And then just kind of personalizing this, as the people of God, talking about their enemies, says, you pushed me violently, so I was falling, but the Lord helped me. The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. Can you get the sense of the excitement when they thought that they were doomed, they thought they were perishing, the only thing they had to hold on to was the name of the Lord and do what he said to do, and they come out the other side, and man, they're saying, the Lord is my strength. And he is my song, and he has become my salvation. And as they go to the tents that night, the sound of joyful shouting and salvation is in the tents of the righteous. You know, often in our sports world, they'll go into the locker room or something after, after a sports team has won a big championship. And what's it like? Yeah, big celebration. And nobody's life was even at risk. What does it feel like when you knew you were doomed and you knew your life and the lives of all your friends were going to be exterminated and you come out of that victorious? Man, there are joyful shouts in the tents. And salvation is in the tents of the right hands. Man, the right hand of the Lord does valiantly The right hand of the Lord is exalted. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. There's a whole sense of the power of God that is greater than the mightiest armies. And this confession I will not die but live. And here's one of the most significant statements in the rest of this verse in verse 18. When that happens, there's two points. One is, and I will tell of the works of the Lord. Dawned on me this morning, even as we were praying earlier in the morning, how self-centered we are, that when we get out of distress and we get out of war, we're just so happy for ourselves. That's not the point. The point is, tell other people what the Lord has done. That's the point. It's about him. It's about his glory. It's about him being good. It's about his loving kindness. Tell other people. This is a big deal. It's a big deal that we invite people and we engage them in conversations this week about what the point of Good Friday and Resurrection Sunday is. It is a big deal. Most of them don't know. And you say, well, I don't want to interrupt them. God's an interrupter of lives. He's a pursuer of people. You know what's going on. You know their lostness. You understand their need. They don't And if God has done anything in our lives, we should be talking to other people about it. Right? Because it's not just about us. It's about Him. And it's about others knowing. Tell of the works of the Lord. Verse 18, the Lord, here's the other reason, has disciplined me severely but he has not given me over to death. One of the great things the Lord is always doing in distress and in wars, he's trying to pry our tight grip off of the things of this world so that we will cling to him and him alone. He's trying to do that. That's part of the reason that it's important that we understand his loving kindness is everlasting. Most of the things we spend our time and energy on And I'm not saying it's wrong to spend it there. I'm just saying they are not unless they're objects of His loving kindness. And so the Lord has disciplined me severely, but He has not given me over to death. And so there's this whole sense when God brings them out of the greatness of the Lord. And, oh, i got to tell other people about what God has done. And, oh, look what He's done in my own life. He's created a greater sense of dependency upon Him and love for Him. And then the rest of the psalm is really them coming back after war into Jerusalem where God's presence was uniquely manifested in the temple. And you can just picture this triumphal procession into the city of Jerusalem and into the temple as they come back victorious, knowing that the Lord alone has done this in His loving kindness. And they just say, "'Open to me the gates of righteousness. I shall enter through them. I shall give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous will enter through it. I shall give thanks to you, for you have answered me, and you have become my salvation.'" The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. Now let's pause there for a moment. What are they saying? What would that mean to them? You see, God had chosen the people of Israel to be his cornerstone upon which he was going to build a people who would be the objects of his goodness and his loving kindness. He chose the people of Israel to do that. And what did the world say? Oh, you worship one God? How idiotic is that? You need to worship a bunch of gods. Oh, you're just a puny little group of people. We'll come in and steal your crops. Oh, we can come against you. We'll send Goliath against you. And what they said after God delivered him is men, God chose us to be the cornerstone for a whole new world order in which God would be worshipped and the ways of God would be experienced, and, and uh, people would love God and they would love the people around them. And this Israel's to begin the beginning point of that, and that was to go out to all the nations of the world. And they look back and says, God. Everybody else throws us on the refuse pile. Everybody rejects us because we claim fidelity to you and we seek to live according to your ways. They reject us, but God, you have chosen us as your people to be your cornerstone. Oh, this is the Lord's doing. Nobody would do this. (laughs) This is a crazy plan. And it is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day which the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Oh Lord, do save. You see, when you experience that, your, your cry to God for salvation gets even stronger because you know he can save. You know he does save. Do save, we beseech you. O oh Lord, we beseech you. Do send prosperity. Oh, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you from the house of the Lord, from the temple. And then these very strong statements of great confidence and affirmation. The Lord is God, and he has given us light. Bind the festal sacrifice with cords to the horns of the altars. You are my God, and I give thanks to you. You are my God. I extol you. And it ends like it began. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his loving kindness is everlasting. And so this would have been a very common psalm, and as they celebrated the Passover meal, this would have been right there, even as it was as Jesus made the triumphal entry. What's interesting is, is a couple days after Jesus rode into Jerusalem in the triumphal entry, and they shouted these hosannas, the religious leaders who saw themselves as the cornerstone, the ones to guide the building of the people of God. Of course, they were incensed that people were worshiping Jesus in the triumphal entry. And Jesus confronts them on this and he tells them a parable, but he finishes the parable with this statement. Jesus said to them, did you never read in the scriptures the stone which the builders rejected, this became the chief cornerstone? This came about from the Lord and it's marvelous in his eyes. Now where would they have read that? Right here in Psalm 118. They'd said it every Passover meal. They were getting ready to say it in a few days. And Jesus takes some takes a very familiar verse, and he said, I am that cornerstone. You think you're the cornerstone, and you're going to build the religion of the people of God, but in fact, you are throwing me on the refuse pile. You are rejecting me. In just a couple days, they would have him crucified. And so Jesus brings this up and makes very specific application to himself and says it wasn't the people of Israel. Ultimately, I have to be the cornerstone because your sins have to be paid for and life has to conquer the consequences of sin, which is death. And so I am your cornerstone. A few days later, after Jesus was resurrected, he ascends back into heaven God's people are formed as the church there on Acts chapter 2. Shortly after that, Peter and John are the means by which God heals a man. And they're called the trial. And he says, If we are on trial today for a benefit done to a sick man as to how this man has been made well, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel. Sounds like Psalm 118, huh? <laughs> Tell everybody that by the what? "...name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by this name this man stands here before you in good health. He is the stone which was rejected by you, the builders, but to which became the chief cornerstone." Jesus Christ is the cornerstone that is the stone that everybody would lay first and upon which everything was to get its orientation and its stability. And he says Jesus Christ is the cornerstone for a whole new way of living, a whole new economy in life. Build upon him and be a part of this new way of living. Paul, when he wrote to the Ephesians church some years later, used the same thing. He said, so then you, to the church in Ephesus, are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints, and of our God's household, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. What's the apostle Paul saying? They did not have the New Testament scriptures yet, He's saying Jesus Christ is the cornerstone, the apostles and prophets lay a foundation which we know of as the New Testament, and you are a part of this new world order, you are a part of this new building, you're a part of this new way of living, we call it the kingdom of God, which will ultimately find its completion in what we loosely call heaven, a new heaven and a new earth. And Jesus takes Psalm 118, and he says, God is building upon the Lord Jesus Christ a new way of living, a living in the love of God and experiencing the goodness of God, where you become lovers of God and lovers of people, and the world is going to reject you because they rejected him. And there's an adversary, Jesus says, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that you might have life and have it abundantly. And so in many ways, Psalm 118 is a psalm for the church of God. It's a psalm for the people of God today, even to a greater extent than it was for the people of Israel in that day. So let me ask you this question in 2017. Is Jesus Christ still rejected by the mass of people in our world? Is he thrown on the trash heap? Yeah, absolutely. God created everything. What kind of a moron? Are you to believe that Jesus Christ created all things and holds all things together by the power of his will? Oh, I have to stand before God one day and he will judge me? No, always lead to God. You can believe whatever you want. There is no life after death. He's as rejected and ridiculed today as he has ever been. And he said, if you choose to make me your cornerstone and you become part of the people of God, they're going to throw you on the, hat, on the trash heap as well. And you are going to experience distress because they hated him, they hate you. They will ridicule you. And when you experience distress because you're part of my people, what should you do? Well, let's use Psalm 118 to guide us through our response this morning. Verse 1, we begin where? We begin by giving thanks to the Lord, for he is good. Boy, we know that better than anybody because he's given Christ to us, right? Right? And we have all things in the Lord Jesus Christ for His loving kindness is everlasting. Let's just say verse 1 together. Give thanks to the Lord for He is good for His loving kindness is everlasting. That, That will always, always be true. So when distress comes because you are a Christian because you're a follower of Jesus Christ, just use verses 5 through 9 as a way to respond to them. Don't shrink back. In your distress, call upon the Lord and let him and let his truth cause you to be free in the midst of the battle. In the midst of the distress. So it could be that you're in the midst of a distress because people think you're a moron or they think you're stupid or whatever because you're a follower of Jesus. And I just want to give you a moment just to make application of these verses five through nine to your own life this morning. Could be that you're a teacher or you're a student in that realm, could be that it's where you work. Could be the neighbors have laughed at you. Comes from all arenas, doesn't it? But let me just give you a few moments to call upon the Lord and let him set you in a large place because he is there to help you. He's there to help you more than any person can. He's there to help you more than any official can. So go ahead and just bow your heads and just... Take a particular distress that maybe you're in right now to the Lord. And maybe you're not in one right now, but you know of somebody who is. Just go ahead and, and pray for them. How about the passage on war? Uh, We read in more truth given to the believers at Ephesus that we don't wrestle against people. Our battle is ultimately not against people. It is against Satan and the principalities and powers of wickedness in high places. And thus, uh, we're not to be passive. We're to arm ourselves with the armor that he gives us there. There. And then after telling us how to arm ourselves, he says to pray for the saints. And then Paul specifically says, and pray for me that I would proclaim the gospel as I ought to proclaim it. So how do we we fight this battle? We call upon the name of the Lord, we pray for those who are being persecuted, and we keep sharing the gospel with other people. That's the way we fight it. And so maybe you know of people where their nation has turned against them and being physically killed is a very likely possibility. Go ahead and pray for them. And then commit yourself to share the gospel with other people as you ought to share it with them. So Stephen just whispered in my ear that there's evidently been a bombing in Egypt in a couple of churches there, so why don't we specifically pray for our brothers and sisters there? Well, Lord, we thank you. We thank you that your loving kindness is everlasting. Amen? Amen. Amen. Why don't you stand with me, please? And before we sing, I just want you to see the vision here that as you orient your life upon the Lord Jesus Christ as the chief cornerstone, you have become a part of a whole new order that goes into eternity. This is a big deal, folks. It's a big deal. You have become a part of a whole new community, a whole new way of living life where Jesus Christ is the cornerstone and, and it's characterized by the loving kindness of God. And there will be a day where we won't go to Jerusalem and enter into that temple. We'll go to the new Jerusalem and enter into the temple. What do you think that's going to be like after living through here? That'll be a hooping, hollering kind of day, won't it? And we're going to say, man, the stone that the people who thought they could build good societies and rejected Jesus Oh, how foolish they've been shown to be. The stone which was rejected by those builders, God has built the whole new heaven and earth upon him. Blessed be his name. Let's just say together, give thanks to the Lord for he is good, for his loving kindness is everlasting. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good, and his loving kindness is everlasting.